0: Welcome to Building a Better World, a podcast that investigates the intersection of the metaverse and how we can apply these technologies to improve people's real lives and enhance humanity. The metaverse is more than a web of networks. It is an unfathomable life-shaping tool. And we, our friends, are here to dive headfirst into the way these technologies can improve our life and the world around us. I'm your host, Rish Blatlakar. Get ready to discover how we can build a better world in three, two, one. It's really great to have you on, Jillian Godsell, our guest today on Building a Better World podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Excited to hear more about your, your background and what got you into the space and all the things that you're working on.
1: Thank you, and actually, funnily enough, the tagline of your show, "Building a Better Better World," that is what got me into this space. I absolutely did. So it's it's uh, very appropriate that I'm here today.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we're very very passionate about our mission, and the beauty of it is that there's so many people around the world who are in their own way building a better world. And they're really passionate about their work and whatever they're doing. So this podcast is really dedicated to kind of uncovering those different missions that we all have and the work that we're doing and kind of see how it all kind of fits together. And ultimately, SuperWorld's a a virtual world where literally anything is possible. So we want to cover those stories. So we're really excited to to hear your story. Maybe it's a start, can you tell us a bit about your background, kind of start from the beginning, tell us more about kind of how you got here?
1: <laughs> well, I will actually, it's a little bit long, but I'll make it the short version, but it's relevant, right? It's actually is relevant. So I had a very traditional background. Originally, I'm Irish. I was hard on the milk ground, went to work for JP Morgan in London. And then I lived in Australia and Singapore, working in fintech, loved it, whatever. I came home, settled down, had my own company, I was still in fintech on the p r side of things, and I bought a big house with my husband in the country and had two kids and I lived happily ever after nice' you Only didn't' Only I didn't oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we, I, I hit divorce and recession at, at the crash at the same time, and in uh-huh. Ireland we had a Celtic tiger immediately before the crash, so it was it was more violent, if you like, because it was more to fall fall from because people had more they were paying more for things they had just it was all this craziness and then bang it wasn't a a smooth landing at all anyway the very short things a lot of misery going on and my ex went back to the UK became bankrupt but he gave all the the debt to myself and our two children so that was my divorce present right my first lesson is or my first piece of advice is do not get divorced in a recession not a good idea not a good idea so we're we're, we're there left at home with this big big debt and I tried to sell the house there was a big house I made a little video and the video went viral. So all of a sudden, because this is like, this is 2010. So people weren't selling their property online so much. Still, still a little bit new. And I was in the Huffington Post and the New York Times. And I was in Al Jazeera, Russia Today. They made documentaries. And it was weird. So I got a cash offer for this house. the little house that went, went viral. The big house went viral. And the banks refused consent to sell. And instead, yeah. they preferred to repossess the home. A few months later, they sold it for a tenth of the value. So it made no sense, right? But in the midst of all that. So that was my own personal horrible stuff. My Bailiffs were calling, business was collapsing. I didn't know what was happening. You know, I went from being like, never having a, a library ticket to this craziness happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also felt very angry. I became an accidental activist because at that stage, was na- there was this narrative peddled by the banks that said that the ordinary people were gaming the system. Now, mm-hmm. we all know that the banks are not exactly the most honorable institutions in the world, far from it, but they were blaming ordinary people for failing financially. So around the time that I'm having my own horrible, horrible couple of years, it was worse, I think, for other people and, and a lot of men in particular taking Mm -hmm. their own lives because they they weren't able to support the family their homes were being repossessed they were being blamed for failing financially as it was if it was a criminal thing Mm -hmm. So i got very angry and very animated and i ended up on all i was like Mm -hmm. rabbiting on radio shows and tv shows and saying it's not right it's not right it hurts a lot to lose but it's not right to blame people for failing financially you know things can come and you can't win everything exactly so i ended up when the banks took my home i had to go into bankruptcy because i still had the debt and then I became the first female bankrupt under the new laws. I knew at that stage, as I was going to the bankruptcy, that I wasn't allowed to run for public office. We'd inherited arcane laws from the UK. And I mm-hmm. went, Because it was seen as, as a you couldn't be a model citizen and be a bankrupt at the same time. It was seen as, again, a, a crime or shameful thing. So mm-hmm. I brought the Irish government all the way to the Supreme Court, High Court and the Supreme Court. And I argued that my constitutional rights had been infringed, that I should be allowed to run for public office. They changed the law. So wow. the next election, the 2014 European Parliamentary Elections, I ran as an independent. Now, I'm broke. I have no money. I'm on the dole. I had to borrow a car. I had no transport. I, I had no money for, I had nothing. But it was an amazing, liberating experience running as a politician, very different I may And I ended up, I got 11,500 votes. I topped the independents, I think, for, for votes, but not enough to get elected, but enough to make a difference. And I went, okay, that's it. My life is done. I've done my bit. You know, I've taken back my agency. I have done this. Wonderful. But I thought my life was over because what do I do now? And then a couple of years later, I met blockchain. I went, this is how I make the world a better place. And that's exactly to my original point to you, because I've been through the dot com boom. And yeah. the dot com boom, you know yourself, it's great technology, really innovative. They rethink, they unthink and rethink the world, also great. Yeah. But the difference is in this particular technical revolution, it is making the world a better place. People, the dot com billionaires were not saying, I want to make the world a better place. They said, I want to innovate, I want to be clever, I want to be smart. But innovators in this space—they want to make the world a better place—and it's a yeah. genuine, genuine feeling. It doesn't always happen. We've had a terrible year of centralized lending institutions, <laughs> and yeah. uh, lots of blown up, which, is, which has been unfortunate, very right. unfortunate. But it, it is—that's why, that's how I came to it because I went, wow, I could see the hugely powerful, transformational technology that blockchain offered the world, and I could because I've been doing all the, this activism and stuff, and. You can see the world was so broken. Like One percent of the world, only ninety percent of the wealth. That makes mm-hmm. no sense. That makes mm-hmm. no sense. I mean, and we're living in even crazier times now with Ukraine and the yeah. war in Syria so negatively impacting the poor people who are who died there and who are trying to survive there. So mm-hmm. we live in a very strange world, but it could be better. And I do mm-hmm. think that technology and this blockchain technology, because of the ethos, community consensus. Yes, there's also people who want to want to do well, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. Mm-hmm. But doing it in such a way that it's not dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's all about, I want to succeed, but I want you to succeed at the same time. And why can't we be ethical, responsible, positive employers and entrepreneurs? And yes, let, let's just make the world a better place. So I love this space. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I discovered it in 2017, I went hell for leather. And I ended up traveling the world, chairing conferences and advocating for women and speaking on the subject and interviewing people. And it was just, I, I, I went, because you, know, you know it was just amazing. My family thought... What is the matter with Jill? She's traveling all over the world now. She was broke and homeless you know, only only a year ago, and now she's traveling. And it was a great, great experience. A great 2017, 2018 it was a great time to get into crypto and get into blockchain. Yeah, I loved it. That's kind of a long story, but you, that's the reason behind it. That's why I'm so passionate about being in this space.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned a few things earlier about what's different this time, particularly in terms of the nature of blockchain technology and what it enables people to be able to do. Can you go into more detail on that? Like, what do you think is the specifics of why, in this time with this kind of evolution of of blockchain technology, the focus is less about just innovation? and more about how do we improve the world or how do we kind of bring people together and provide accessibility and these other, other kinds of themes? What makes that different?
1: Well, I think the financial element has to be key, has to be okay. core, because obviously okay. the ability to transfer peer-to-peer. And I, and I know that Certainly, back in 2017, when I first was learning about that, the biggest movement of monies in the world is actually remittances from the developed world to the developing world. That's the biggest. It's not. It's not aid. Although, mind you, I beg your pardon. With Ukraine, that might be a bit different now. With the with the yeah. amount of money that's gone to Ukraine, and of course, people have been fleeced. Been fleeced. They're they're taking taking weeks and so charge big fees. And and you might think, oh, they're only, it's only only like fifty dollar fee, but if you're sending back a hundred dollars, that's a big fee. You know? So I just think there's that, that whole opportunity to think that. We don't need old fiat money. I mean, and I'm not an anarchist by any stretch of the imagination, middle-aged, middle-class mum who happened to fell on hard times. But, you know, it's not interesting. You have all the big elites that control the world and control things like taxation. So you have the, the CEO paying a fraction of the tax compared to his secretary, compared to even his other managers. And, and it's just it's that inequalities that perpetuate and are created again and again and again. I mean, Why should people who have all this money be able to make the rules? Now, that sounds like a really stupid question. Of course, people with money make the rules. But you know what? Maybe they couldn't. Maybe maybe using technology and our own funny money, you could replace things like that. And it's just, wow, isn't that? Because we've we've kind of gone back into feudal times now. You know, the people like my parents, they had six kids, and they put us all through private school. Now, they were not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but they chose not to have foreign holders or flash cars. They chose to put it all with the kids instead. But that was a choice they could make because mom didn't work. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. You can't do it now. Certainly not in the development world, not in, not in Dublin. You can't do it in Ireland. You can't do it in most countries. People have to work. I hear we have a huge crisis where people, they can't afford childcare. They can't afford to buy a home. Kids are living at home with their parents. Kids, I mean, in their 30s. So the world is a bit weird. And this is like, Ireland is, is a fairly stable, well-regulated country. And there's all these things happening, so it's like, whoa! So I love the idea that you could say, we could do something different. And do you remember? Do you ever hear about the Brixton Pound?
0: No, I haven't. What's that about?
1: It was just an experiment they did. It was pre-crypto. It was nothing to do with crypto. But they just they said, let's. How do we? Brixton was a bit of a run-down area in London, or is it London? Maybe it north. But they no, it wasn't actually London. It was outside. Anyway, it was a run-down area. So they said, let's print our own pound. And they had like David Bowie came from Brixton, so they had like famous people on it. And they used it. And if you use the Brixton Pound as opposed to the Sterling. You get discounts in local businesses. So this is like, this printed money. It wasn't, you know, it was just an experiment. It was very successful because it meant that money was spent in a locality. That's not kind of clever. And I think Hedera Hashcraft, I think, is talking about maybe putting it onto a blockchain. Maybe I'm not sure how far they got. In 2020, they were doing something there. It's, what I love you said about what, what is the difference? Finance is the core of everything. And I know having been a successful woman, successful Mm -hmm. professional woman who didn't worry about money. Now, I wasn't rich by any means, but I I had no money worries whatsoever. I had holidays, we had apartments abroad, kids, we had a big house. Mm -hmm. Comfortable, comfortable, no money worries. And then spending about 13 years on the breadline, that's Mm -hmm. horrible. Going to the supermarket and not knowing. And once actually I didn't have enough money on my my debit card, I didn't have a credit debit card. My daughter, who was very young, which was a young teenager, was mortified. I had to go home and find some extra to finish off the shop. But yeah. And when you're that close, and don't be wrong, I, I was never on the streets, ran on the streets. When you're constantly fighting just to get money, just to pay for ordinary things, it's very hard to do the thinking up here about why is it wrong. Very hard to have a revolution. And again, I'm not an anarchist or a revolutionary or anything that. It, but it's very hard to have even like a, a, a velvet revolution. mm mm-hmm. If you're thinking down here, because you're so busy trying to feed people. And that's yes. why this thinking in this space, because mm-hmm. you kind of go, oh, oh, I never thought of it that way. Oh, well, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And it makes you unthink the things that we were brought up with. Well, I was brought up with norms that were just considered that's the way it is.
0: Yeah. It is the life experience of dealing with the problem, whatever it is in, in our lives, that helps you really have empathy for not only the problem, but for people around you that are also suffering from a similar fate and makes you really passionate about figuring out ways once you've, in your case, gotten the knowledge about what this technology can do, really passionate about how we can use it to to make sure this doesn't happen. And I love the fact that you're, again, a big supporter of leadership and women particularly getting into this space, I'd love to hear more about kind of the work that you're doing with block leaders. And I know you were recently recognized as one of the top 100 women of the future.
1: I said that to my mom and she said, do you think the I meaning of today? is the future belong to somebody else? I said, well, you could have a good point there. I'm very excited to be in this space. Mm-hmm. And when I give my talks about advocacy for women in the space and diversity in general, but just women in, in particular, I often start with a little very bad joke that goes, if the Lehman brothers being the Lehman sisters, we not, might not have had the financial crash. So we all know that diversity, having women right. in there, it makes a big difference, right? Now, this technology, as I've said earlier in this conversation, it's mm-hmm. way too important to be left to men alone way too important. Um, And it's not, but I mean, when I say men, I mean, that's that's the tip of the iceberg. It's the whole spectrum. So it's diversity in every hue, color, creed, sexuality, binary, non-binary, whatever you want to be. We want you all in there because it's too important to waste people who think the same way, because the people who think the same way are the ones who created the world the way it is. And if you're only mixing with people who think, you know, you're in that bubble, it's very hard for you to think outside outside the box. One example I, I give in terms of this is that I was very fortunate. I mentioned that my dad, mom and dad decided that they would not have on holidays or whatever, you know, the local, we mm-hmm. stayed in Ireland the time and to pay for the education. So that was a decision they made, which gave me a great privilege. Very mm-hmm. Privately educated is a huge privilege, not only in the standard of schooling that you get, also mm-hmm. in the networks that you create and you go on. I went to Trinity and all, it's just the networks. I, I don't, I am not a millionaire by, by long, but I know people who are millionaires. You don't get that unless you go on that particular path. Mm-hmm. And then I look at other people who don't have that. And I've always been a very hard-working person. I work extremely hard, but I started up here. Now compare yeah. that to somebody maybe who started down here, maybe it was a single mom or with the parents who who didn't believe in education and maybe had a couple of kids before they were twenty, didn't finish schooling, mm-hmm. didn't get any education, didn't manage to spread their wings and show their talents. and maybe people don't get chances. And people who do who do work very hard. I started up here. And again, it wasn't that I said we're not well off or anything like that, but it's still that that education was a huge gap. And if someone's down here, it's very hard to work it up to here before you can go on afterwards. And so I think being in this space, it allows I mean, there's lots of things that, for example, I mean, I went to a beautiful university, Trinity College in Dublin, very grateful, that's, loved my four years place.
0: there.
1: Yeah. Adored. I did history in English, major in history, adored. Yeah. But if people don't have access to university, and this is like a world-class university in the doorstep, How do they get their recognition, their accreditation, their awards and recognition? And people say, oh, it's true. And -hmm. that's what the blockchain, you see with blockchain education, people are able to register certification. They can do distance learning. They can do a whole bunch of things. And they get experience working with startups or companies. And all of a sudden, they can work from whether it's India, Singapore, or Ireland, and they have the same opportunity. So So even though I'm very privileged, that word again, I'm very happy to have gone to Trinity. I mean, it really was an amazing experience. But I'm very glad that there are other ways for people to achieve and to succeed. I don't know what the role of the university will be going forward in the future. It's hard to know, except that it's an amazing social experience. Yes, but I I love the fact that people people who don't, you don't have to go through a traditional educational university experience to rack up your talent and your accreditations and then apply for jobs and work remotely if necessary. So that's kind of exciting. That wouldn't have happened pre-Blockchain, I don't think.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of things that I think have, been transformed and how people are now kind of thinking about education and the future of work. And we just had Esther O'Callaghan. Oh, I know her. Yeah. She's amazing. On the show. And we were talking about how the education and how employers are going to hire people is really going to be more about what can you do and what skills do you have? Instead of just looking at your CV, they're going to be able to kind of evaluate you on different kind of factors. So yeah, I definitely think it's how a lot of things are transforming using this technology. You kind of talked about it a bit, but I'm just curious, when was the first time you got your first exposure to blockchain? What was the, how did you first hear about, Bitcoin or blockchain in general?
1: Well, I actually heard about it in 2014. I went to a talk a friend had organized in Dublin, and I went over my head. I said, that's a nice talk. That's nice, lovely. Thought no more about it. Uh And then in 2017, Mm -hmm. I was working on another software project, and the same guy was working, he said, come to this meeting, and this is the ICO Madness at the time, right? Yeah. And they said, what are going to do? We'll do? It was a horse-based project because Ireland the land of the horse and racing horses and whatever, the whole shebang, and they're going to put the horses on the on the blockchain and raise loads of money, and uh, none of that happened. So I, I came in it's kind of crazy. I went, this is weird. But at the same time, a friend of mine was the editor of CryptoCoin.News, I think it is, Simon mm-hmm. Cocking, and he was editing that, and I said to him, because I knew him from before, I'd, I'd written fintech for him before as a journalist, I said, how do I learn about this? And he said, well, do you want to review some white papers? Now, white papers are death by white papers. I hate white papers, but it was a great way to learn, to try to read all this stuff and try to understand. Because it is, even though I did fintech all my life, into blockchain, it's a big jump. It's just the the whole boundary. It's a huge jump. I found it quite hard at the start. The other nice thing, too, as well, was that Simon had been previously traveling a lot, chairing conferences and speaking at conferences, but he had a young family. When he got some invites came through and he said, do you want to do that? So my first one was in Kyiv, actually, funnily enough, in the Ukraine. And it was 2018, 2017, 2018. It was okay. a fashion on the blockchain conference.
0: and What? Fashion.
1: fashion on the blockchain conference. Oh,
0: okay. I think I was at that one. No way. Yeah, I That's spent why. a lot of time in Kyiv. So. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. I started a venture capital fund there back in 2011. So I was yeah. there. I think that was 2018.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, that would be right. Yeah. Oh, that's mad. Well, that, was, that was my first conference that I went to. And I was I was only speaking. I wasn't sharing it. But okay. it was just it was my first experience. I went, oh, my goodness. And then also, I was used to going to fintech conferences. Now, fintech conferences are fine. And then you go to blockchain conferences. And they're mad. And they're great, <laughs> crack. They're a lot of fun. And then you go to NFT conferences. And they're even crazier again. So it's just the fun. I love going to conferences now because... A, I would know a lot of people on the circuit because I've either interviewed them or I've, I've met them, whatever. And then just, but this the energy is very different. It's a great, buzzy, buzzy. It's really good energy. I, I love those conferences.
0: Yeah, no, those are great, especially conferences in Kyiv. Uh, they always definitely add a whole different level. I, I love it there. I can't wait till mm. uh, Ukraine is back to normal. You know.
1: Yeah, please God, it'll Here. happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, mm.
0: yeah. They have a very strong blockchain and Web3 community there. You've also had a lot of experience on the journalism side and PR, etc., in covering a lot of stories. And last year has been a, a very interesting year in terms of, you oh, know, my of discovering <laughs> like, a lot of different things that are happening in this space. Talk to me a little bit more about the field of journalism as it relates to mm-hmm. this world.
1: But it- do you know what's interesting? They always say it's an ill wind that bears no, brings no, it's an ill wind that brings no good. So when all when I went through all the craziness, prior to that, I did history in English and Trinity. I worked in PR for many years, about 15 years, or whatever. And then I hit the activism on the craziness and I started writing. I was writing a lot of op eds, mad, crazy op eds in the Irish Independent about social injustice and stuff like that. So I began to make myself a name as a, this raving, loony lefty, angry woman. And that was a great experience. And then when I moved into Web3, the natural thing was to do it with writing. And you learn that way too as well. I loved it. So Mm -hmm. in Astroscreds about last year, one of the things that I love to do, it's absolutely my passion, and I would do it all day, every day, every day, all night, is founder interviews. I love founder interviews. I love people. And I also admire founders because they're smart people. They've got these original ideas and they're they're just, I love chatting to them. I love finding out what makes them tick. So Mm -hmm. again, go back to last year. I had been a bit like a bit of a fangirl with Alex Mashinsky. I'd Mm -hmm. met him and I'd interviewed him several times and I believed him. Because I actually absolutely believed him. And that broke my heart because I just thought, oh no, oh no, when that all blew up and all the stuff that came out afterwards, Mm -hmm. and I just thought, oh my God. So that was perhaps not my most professional moment. Because I I really I believed him. I was so excited about Celsius. I was so excited. with Do that didn't really. It pains me so much because that was pure FOMO stuff. It didn't, it wasn't helping ordinary mm-hmm. folk. And even like the FTX was more again a commercial thing that, that blew up. And although I know you man uh, Naz, you know, Nas Daily, the Israeli podcaster, yeah. I, I met him actually in New York there recently. But yeah. he uh, he did a piece yeah. on Sam. Oh, and he yeah. went back and did another piece in Sam to correct this stuff, whatever. But it, oh. it it happens. And I think we all understand that it was it was due to centralized the DeFi kept on bundling mm-hmm. along. It was a centralized and human beings at the core, and human beings maybe starting off wanting to do right and then not so, not so. So mm-hmm. that that's I think is and as a journalist, going back to that thing, I mean, it was a great, a great privilege for me to be able to say I get to interview a lot of people. So I've interviewed Alex Baczynski, but I've also interviewed John McAfee who I loved. I know he was a bit crazy. I loved him and uh, Don Tapscott. And uh, there's, there's quite a top of the leaders of the space that I've met and interviewed. It's a great privilege to be there. It is sad when one of your heroes, that really spoke to me because again, I was a single mom. I just thought, oh, I can put my little crypto in there. I don't sell it. And I can, you know, and it's just, it's helping people and it's all the right, the right things were being said. Mm-hmm. And then that was, that upset me. So that was more, actually it was more of a personal thing. If I was a cold, stone cold journalist, it was written. The news, but I, I got excited about that. I thought, oh, this is where the future comes into play. Yeah. Yikes.
0: Yeah, I guess it's uh, part of this world of uncovering kind of these stories. And I think the centralization of a lot of the things that we were thinking were more decentralized or moving to be more decentralized were still the, the points of failure. What do you think is the where the, where we're going now? Now that we know some of these issues that we've had in the industry, people are now more aware that they need to be concerned. Concerned about where they're storing their crypto and be more cognizant of, of being more decentralized in terms of their wallet infrastructure, et cetera. Do you think people are making that change or the mainstream? We're in this space, so I think we're a little bit more aware. But what do you think about the mainstream user? Are they, are they picking up on this or are they just kind of
1: It's hard to know. Yeah, it's hard to know. It's and I think also like obviously mainstream adoption, which is not mainstream user, mm-hmm. we want it to be easy. So we want them not to think yeah. about whether it's decentralized or not. You really want to like open mm-hmm. up a PayPal account or a Revolut or any one of those neo I do think there is definitely room for regulation, so that these things can't happen. Now I'm not very convinced of the current round of regulations coming out of the SEC, and then because it smacks of just all the layers of problems with the FTX engagements and, oh my goodness, I think regulation, but the right regulation. And how do we get that? That's hard to know too as well. I'm not a regulator. I've I've met some fine people like John Salmon. He's a solicitor with Pogan Lovells, very interesting man out of the UK. And he has some really, he has, he, he talks quite a lot. He has a lot of interesting things to say about regulation, but it has to be right. You can't mix up oranges and apples and expect them to get the same result. So you can't expect crypto to act the same way as fiat. But mind you also, at the end of the day too as well, again, we know this, that there is more money laundering done in fiat than there is in crypto. Mm -hmm. Trillions and trillions more, and that's kind of conveniently overlooked. People go, oh, it's all the the, the bad stuff that's happening. So yes and no, I think it needs to get easier, but it needs to be ready just so you know it's safe. I I think that's also why Celsius Mm
0: -hmm. was so
1: attractive. It was very easy to use. It was very, very easy to use. It felt like a Facebook interface. It just felt grand. We need regulation so you can trust what it is you're using, but you don't need to know what you're using because no one one wants to care about, oh, well, look at the code behind this. I mean, who's going to do that? Average punter certainly won't.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the issue is that the more centralized approaches are just generally easier. The DeFi and more decentralized infrastructure is still getting there in terms of usability. And that's something that we, we try to focus on at SuperWorld is how do we make it really easy for, for users to to get on board in terms of what we're doing and get into the metaverse. But at the same time, every user has their own preferences for mm. how they prefer to to get into to crypto. And it's a matter of kind of making sure that everyone's kind of educated as to what those differences are until we have better solutions. What do you think of this year? I mean, versus last year, I know we've, we see a little bit of, Hopefully, some rebound that's happening mm. in the industry, or some stability compared to the end of last year. What's your thoughts on on where where we're going over this year, or the next year, the next few years? Well, I'd
1: be I'd be quietly optimistic, and I think today, did Bitcoin hit twenty five today? I think some popped up on my screen. But I'd be quite think, optimistic. Yeah, I'm
0: excited about that.
1: Yeah. I nice. mean, obviously, that'll bring everything up and it'll give more, more money to come into the system and people be able to buy things and invest in things and develop stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm all in on the system. Uh, last year was a horrible year in terms of like bad things to happen. Mm-hmm. But then also having said that, there was a lot of building went on last year. So yeah. there was a recovering projects. I know oh, that's interesting. So a lot of good stuff happening then the bad stuff overtook it. So I would be optimistic because I think at the end of the day, Again, going back to this thing, apart from the people, there are bad actors everywhere in fiat and in crypto, but there are a lot of people in crypto and Web3 who want to make the world better. And I think that will prevail. And again, I think I stress, it's not a hippy-dippy, oh, let's share everything out. It's, it's like, let's be successful. Let's do it in an honorable way. There's no, there's no reason you can't make money, but be a decent person and do good in your community and look after your employees, make good product. That's not counterproductive to being successful. In fact, oftentimes if you do all those things, you keep your your customers be happy, your employees will be happy and you end up with better workspace, better, you know, things all all improve, I think in those cases. So I am very optimistic, but then I have to say, warning alert, Jilly is always optimistic. (laughs) So I'm known for like, oh, is this wonderful? Rose tinted glasses. I do get excited, but yeah, it'll work out in the end. I know it will.
0: Well, I share that with you. I mean, I'm super optimistic about the world, super world. I think that we definitely have to look at the challenges we have, but again, look at them in the light of that there's so many opportunities to make things better, and that we should mm-hmm. go towards those things. And so,
1: yeah. otherwise, you may as well give up. Yeah. <laughs> Off you go. Otherwise, yeah. you don't have hope. Yeah. That you long-term
0: horizon, difference. long-term thinking.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if you have children, but I, I've grown up kids. Yeah. So I want them to have a really nice world. I want them to enjoy it and be successful at what they want to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I have two kids. And I often say in terms of what we're doing with Superworld is, again, we're a virtual world that's focused on enhancing your real life. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is keep people in the real world, in the physical world. I see these kids that are slowly kind of being pulled into virtuality and they're not Mm -hmm. out there doing things. I think a lot of kids are just kind of stuck on social media or stuck playing a video game. And so as I think of technology and kids, I think there's ways to kind of create and build everything that we're doing in a way that's very humane so that kind of recognizes not only the positive uses of this technology but in a way that is positive for all of us and also positive for the world so those are things that really kind of that we're passionate about and we're passionate about Mm -hmm. in super world you mentioned that i think this whole talk of this whole interview that it's really about building a better world and providing accessibility This technology definitely does that. What are ways that you think that as we build more tools, make things easier, how do we get groups that might not yet be using this technology blockchain, DeFi, crypto, Mm -hmm. metaverse? What's the best way to start bringing all of this to a greater number of people, minorities, groups of people that don't have as much access?
1: Well, I think. The base premise of people building the space is that they want to be inclusive. I think there's very few products I've come across that are just for white bald men for the sake of argument, whatever. Most people want to make things things that are better. What I really like, for example, I did some work recently with a neurodiverse community in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I was interviewing for the Irish Times on it. And I learned a huge amount, huge amount, because I think I'm quite neuro-neutral, neuro I think it is, whatever. But mm. there's such a, a spectrum of people's ability and where they are. And neurodiverse is great because diversity, as we now know, can bring greater things. A neurodiverse person can be a lot more valuable as a team member than a neuro-neutral person as I am. And the problem has been traditionally, how do the, how does a neurodiverse person get on the team? Because they if they are typical neurodiverse it means that they might be very bad at interview technique, eye contact, empathy. They might like to work in an office. They could be very awkward, but they have this amazing brain and different way of looking at things that would be hugely powerful for an organization. When you have people looking at things like neurodiversity, because apparently in the UK, against all UK-based analysis and research that I was doing, only 18% of neurodiverse people are employed. Mm-hmm. That's shocking, because it means they haven't been able to get get work or through different reasons that wow. they haven't been matched up. So going back to the technology, when you have a group group of people who are working to develop ways that are rethinking the world, dismantling, oh, we've always done it this way, disruption, and then you also have at the same time there's this embracement by society in general of of like mental health issues, for example, neurodiversity, LGBTQ plus community, all these different things that people are are embracing. There are things that have been brought to the table, and then you've got a community that's building. There's a natural overlap, and people are going to say, Oh, and also, because this technology comes in the middle of a time post-pandemic, where we're uh, working remotely, so there's a lot of the hybrid model lends itself to a lot more be able to include people, whether you are geographically dispersed and, and not very well off, but you have access to the internet, or whether you live in the middle of London, but you're neurodiverse and you don't go near an office. It's a little bit woolly that I'm my question, I answer, I'm giving you, but I do think because you have this, I'm going to call it not wokeness, because that's such that's got bad connotations now, but this awareness, different types of people. Mm-hmm. who can contribute to the world and this technology that actually wants to include those people. So I think it's happening across different things. Like Even I did something about a supply chain project, it was, Suco was called a number of years ago. The only thing that struck me was that as consumers in the Western world, we're very conscious about how we buy and what we buy. And that like I buy a lot of charity shop stuff now and um people are, My my kids are beginning to recycle stuff and, and you know, it's, just, it's, just a, it's a way of thinking rather than fast fashion or whatever. So the person, to, in order to have that, you need somebody at the far end of the supply chain who's making or growing or doing whatever they're doing, whether it's food or fashion, to input the data. So the data can be read all the way along up and then people can say, oh, this is actually made by this person or made here, whatever. And the nice thing is that, again, to how it's going to make a difference is the person who's actually supplying the data that's needed because the consumer who has the dollar is the buying power, is looking mm. for it. And the person at the far end who is the most vulnerable, they're getting paid to do this. Not top of the regular, they're getting paid. It could be in tokens. It could be in, in other stable coins. But they're getting paid. Mm-hmm. And then the one thing that really struck me was, that's really interesting because there's a bit of a writing balance of power. And then this chapter, he said, you know what, they can use those tokens perhaps to save it or to get a microloan. And he said, of course, a microloan to somebody in a developing country might be like $50. That's a microloan. To so them, it's, it's their entire year's supply of seed. And when you start to think, oh, wow, that's changing. That's changing mm-hmm. stuff. All the whole finance thing. I mean, can you imagine living in a world where you, can't, you don't have a, have a bank account? You mm-hmm. can't get credit. These things that you need to buy a car, to buy a house, to go on holidays, mm-hmm. to pay for your kids' education, and like you, you can't get credit. But because it's disrupting so many traditional industries and way of thinking about stuff, that's where I get the most excited. It's, it's the, the change thinking like, oh, because when someone said to me, we should separate state and money. And I went, sure, here in Ireland, we we only learned this century to separate, separate church and state. Now, most modern thinkers would definitely separate church and state. doesn't matter what region you are, you think they're are different. And they would church and uh, state and money, that's interesting. But why not? Why should the state be controlling the money? Why couldn't there be the community or consensus or an agreement or whatever? Things to think upon.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that this is opening up a new way that people are starting to think about their relationship with the currencies that we use, as well as the brands or the businesses that we interact with, how we can interact with our community whether it's geographic or it's across the world, certain interests, groups, et cetera. That's something that we're really passionate about at SuperWorld as well, is how do we, again, not only enable this kind of new way of transacting, but also how do we enable new ways of becoming a stakeholder, whether it's in geospatial land around you and owning virtual real estate covering Earth or being able to utilize Web3 to engage Your customers as a business, as well as you as an individual or part of an organization being able to engage with your community using these tools. I think that as we give more people the access to not only Web3, but just these other technologies inherent in in the metaverse, we see what's going on with generative AI. Mm -hmm. We're all being very empowered in different ways, and we need to learn how to use that power. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about what's happening in the AI field and then keeping up with ChatGPT and yeah, yeah, They're very handy. Lighter. I
1: used it several yeah. times to rephrase stuff, but I wanted to be okay. rephrased. I said, "Here's a." Uh-huh. Press release. I said you know what let's just yeah. throw it in there and see it coming because to- otherwise I'd have to do it right? that's time I do not, do not enjoy doing that unless I'm adding value to it yeah but doing it too as well recently because during the lockdown too as well we all well people made bread and did the yeah. garden but I, I didn't do that but I, I started painting and then I started doing stuff oh. I just I had a lot of fun doing that and I made them into yeah. NFT what kind of painting I have this where kids were saying to me I always doodle ladies just women okay.
0: just women
1: and they're usually sitting and I just had, I, it's like a meme that I do. I've never, I just do okay. it. So I started painting them. I had a lot of fun. And actually, I'm not where I'm living now, but I framed them all, IKEA ah. framed them, put them all up on the wall, which is a bit strange. I, <laughs> yeah. but I, I had, that was such fun. But another thing that I did was just before, I said my house was uh, repossessed by the banks back in 2010, 20... mm-hmm. whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And before the banks before I gave up the keys, they took them. A friend of mine said, Do you want to do a naked shoot in your house? And I said, why not? <laughs> so it was, it was very tasteful. And I was very tasteful. Yep. It was showing really art, good. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Like, uh-huh. it, was, it was a nice old Georgian house. So I photographed. I was photographed all over the place. It was a lot of fun. And anyway, yeah. going back to the art, there was yeah. this project I was working on, art mine. You took loads of photographs and then you would train the AI model to do stuff with the paintings. So I had about 40 of these shots left over from the, the nude shoot. And again, it was it was so tame, but it was, it was fun to have done. Yes. Yeah. And it created these amazing, amazing, amorphous uh-huh. building and woman. Like I cause it was the house was we'd rescued it once. So it was a really emotional thing when the banks took it, because we it was about to be knocked down. We rescued it was beautiful eight-bedroom, eight-bathroom Georgian manor house and three-story over basement with a lovely. Yeah, it was beautiful. And but it was about to be knocked down when we saved it and did it up. And then the banks took it. It was like horrible. But I had such fun and I soaked about it. 300 of them. I think I'm at least $300 up, I think. But it was just such fun to do. And people talk a lot about AI and dance or whatever, but that was kind of fun But I thought, oh, okay, so I'm being an artist. It's my photographs. I'm training the AI. And now I've got these beautiful images. I'm embracing it. I, I think it'll be, I think human beings will be okay.
0: I agree. I think it's really important to... Embrace every new technology and to try to jump in and be as interactive with it as possible. And that's how you get to understand it and use it and and benefit from it. You can't be afraid of it for sure. And I think it's only additive to us doing more and more higher level types of work. So, and it's going to add jobs.
1: Could I interrupt there? Sorry, I did an interview with Lady some time ago and she was working with babies, premature babies in Cork. What she was doing, she was using AI because they hadn't up then taken all the data with the premature babies and put it through all the data into databases and and analyze it. Mm -hmm. And she said the AI, the work, that was just phenomenal because it pushed them on. The AI could analyze and take all that data and crunch it up and come out out with things that Mm -hmm. humans would take years to do. And second, she said, although it takes a human being, a doctor, to be able to look after a premature baby, but the AI didn't get tired the AI, and AI never slept. So as a help for her work with the real other doctors, mm-hmm. she said it was phenomenal. So things like that are going to be amazing. Or old folk may be living by themselves, those AI robots. So okay, they're by themselves, but they can have an interaction. They have a conversation, like a chat, a GBT conversation. That's kind of interesting too as well. That so people would have more, I'm not saying that it's ideal to be living by yourself and chatting to your robot. I'm not saying that's obviously ideal, but but it would be better than, than not chatting to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it could also provide information and feedback. And so there are lots of practical implementations, I think, of AI that are amazing, that are just going to, yeah, but they're, they're already there they're all the time. We're, I mm-hmm. mean, when I type, the automatically type fills in the rest of my sentence for me. which is very handy and I'm doing an email or something. Maybe not when I'm writing poetry, but I'm doing an email. That's handy. That helps me move along. So, yeah, yeah. I, like, I think it's better than better than not good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know there's in, in with chat GPT four and five and I've just uh, it's going to get pretty incredible what you can create. So I'm very excited about that. Again, uh, we want people to create content and be able to place content in real world locations. So I can't wait till we can integrate some of that tooling into SuperWorld and see what people are going to create around them. I'm gonna kind of close by asking you a couple of more fun questions as well, just to get your get your thoughts on who would you want to go to lunch with if you could invite anyone to lunch, anyone around now or in history in the world, who you know, who, who would you who would you invite and what would you wanna learn?
1: Oh well, given our conversation, Satoshi.
0: Nice. That's whether
1: good. he, yeah. she, them, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And it'd be kind of fun just to see to get their feedback on how they thought it was working out. What was their original vision? And, and mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's pretenders to the crown, we won't mention here now, but but is it working the way and and also it'd be quite nice to meet him, he, she, they, whatever, to figure out if I could help if their vision, because their, their vision, I believe in their vision, as in that was this, it was theirs. And if, if perhaps they could give the world some guidance about things that were messing up and things we can do better, that'd be really nice to be able to come back and say, guys. Here's the 10 commandments from the mountain. Do you know what? We're going to do this, 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 and we'll make it all good again. So that would be my person to meet.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good question too. I wonder what the answer to that question would be mm. because, yeah. I'm sure, it would
1: help us, wouldn't it? It would help us get things righter, better. You know, I think it would help us, people who, who want to get things right. Ah, oh, I'm going in the wrong direction. Let's go in this direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I wonder if Kishi then even anticipated all the things that have come about from this original vision. So, Mm. yeah, it's very exciting. All right. So, and one more question is, we're SuperWorld. So again, virtual world covering earth where you can buy any location on on earth and become a stakeholder there. Where in the world, if you could acquire any place, any virtual real estate anywhere in the world, where is your favorite place in the world?
1: I've got four answers. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. whoops. Because I have three little pieces yeah. of virtual land. The yeah. first one was in Mercer's. I put a little shop there. It's uh-huh. a, a game attached to the Wax blockchain. So I mm-hmm. need to go back. It's a small little game, but it was kind of fun. And uh, I like the guy who's building there. Second mm-hmm. time was that I um, got a house in Metropolis, which is uh, out of the UK. The, uh, a Jani brother and sister set it up. So it's full of DJs and very famous people. But I, I was going to say from homelessness to a house, in Metropolis, up in the area, it's lovely. And the third place that I have already, its is coming out next week, is that my business colleague and I, Lisa, we're launching the first Irish pub in the Metaverse, in Sandbox, so oh, that's great. happening. I know it's happening next, or for Paddy's weekend, next weekend awesome. then next weekend. But if I were to have something, I know what I'd like. I'd like my children, well, my one daughter in particular, but they both have horses, and we've got rescue horses and no land. So I would like a large chunk of land and with virtual land where I could could I somehow support the rescue horses and I don't know. I could like make a big equestrian facility in south of Dublin in Wicklow.
0: That would South be that one. okay.
1: Yeah, that would be my 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 thing too, and then and then maybe use that to to buy a, a real equestrian center because my daughter teaches with um, special needs kids and and so that we're using equine led uh, therapy, and she also wants to do equine rehabilitation and retirement for um, horses too as well. So so I would I start off I'll start off with the virtual one, and yeah. then somehow I'll make it work so that I end up with I can buy nice equestrian center in Wicklow.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you definitely find a spot there to start building virtually and and then also start doing more things physically there. That's great. Yeah. Daughters in that area of work as well. Recently was with someone who's in the horse racing space, who is also interested in similar ideas, because more people need to know about the sport and uh, get into it. And that was something that she had talked to me a long time about. So very cool. Very cool. Well, that's great to... Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. I'd love to tell our audience, where is the best place for them to learn more about your work and how do they find you online?
1: I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest. So my name, it's spelled a bit funnily, journey with a J and God's with a G G O D S I L. So that would be the best spot where uh, I have conversations. Um, I'm on Twitter too as well, same my name because it's very, very funny. I laugh and I go into Telegram or I go into Discord whatever, and everyone's got their icons and so they haven't got the uh, no faces and they've got the funny names and I'm going, oh, I am so boring.
0: <laughs> I have my
1: face, I don't have my name. And I'm a journalist, so it's important. But even still, it's like, oh, I feel boring. I should have a fancy name and, and I should have a sort of another, I don't know, strange cartoon for my face. But anyway, so yes, but LinkedIn and Twitter, but LinkedIn is probably the better one for business connections. But awesome! I'll chat to people
0: there. Awesome! Mm-hmm. Awesome! I think your name's really fancy, so that's awesome. <laughs> well,
1: well, I'm lucky. But my my brothers used to get teased about, about uh, Godzilla, but I'm a girl, uh, so I didn't really get that thing. So it's, <laughs> <it>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids, they're always like that. But no, it's it's really nice to meet you. Excited for all the work that you've you do and you've you've done to help grow this space. So really appreciate you coming on on our podcast today. And thanks again for all the stuff that you're doing to build a better world. So thanks so much, Julian. Well,
1: thank great you. Here. It's a great time to be alive. Thank you very much indeed for having thank me you. on.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building a Better World. For more search Building a Better World in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at SuperWorld, thanks for listening.